Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer. The Global U.S. Brain Trust Quarterly Dialogues are a collaboration between two like-minded initiatives focused on elevating the importance of women's brain and mental health. Both support us against Alzheimer's Be Brain Powerful campaign that prompts women to make brain health a personal priority for themselves and their loved ones. A recent dialogue explored prevention and the role that sex and gender plays in brain health with Dr. Lisa Moscone, director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Weill Cornell Medicine. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, The XX Brain, and the international bestseller, Brain Food, published in over 25 countries and translated into more than 15 languages. She was interviewed by Mara Hagmaray, vice chair of the global BBP Brain Trust and honorary president of the Women's Brain Project, Switzerland. Let's listen in. I love your books, and there's so many questions I could ask you. But I think I want to start with what drove you as a researcher to focus on sex-based differences in the brain? And what has your latest work with the magnetic resonance imaging to scan the brains of women pre- and post-menopausal uncovered? Yeah, so I've been working in this field pretty much since I was 18 years old, in part because of my family. I have a fairly strong family history of Alzheimer's disease that really affects the women in my family. So my grandmother was one of four siblings, three sisters and one brother. And all three sisters developed dementia and died of it, whereas the brother was scared, was spared. I was scared, the brother was spared. And so back then I was already studying the brain, which has always been my passion. And I started asking questions as I was entering my PhD program. I have a PhD in neuroscience and nuclear medicine, which is a branch of radiology. And so I've been looking at at, at brains pretty much my entire career, starting at a very young age. And, And my question was, is it just me? Is it just my family? Is my mom at risk for Alzheimer's disease? Am I at risk for Alzheimer's disease? Doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. And back then, the answer that I always got, well, not quite. The point is that Alzheimer's disease is a disease of old age, and women live longer than men. So in the end, there are more women than men suffering from Alzheimer's disease. And still today, almost two-thirds of all Alzheimer's patients are women. A few decades later, really, we know better, and we realize that women don't live that much longer than men. Right, the, the, the age difference in the United States is about four and a half years. In England, the difference is two and a half years. But Alzheimer's disease and dementia are the number one cause of death for women and not men. But most importantly than all this, we and others have shown that Alzheimer's disease is not a disease of old age, but rather it starts in midlife with negative changes in the brain that later on lead to the onset of clinical symptoms when people are in their 70s or 80s. And so what we have done was then to really think about it differently and ask a different question. So if Alzheimer's disease starts in midlife and not in old age, what happens to women 
and not men in midlife that could potentially clarify why more women than men develop Alzheimer's disease. And that's how we stumbled on menopause, which was very strange for me. You know, in Western medicine, we were not really trained to think, you know, menopause is something that a brain person should concern themselves with. But it turns out that menopause is actually a neuroendocrine transition, which means that your brain and your hormones are all changing at the same time. And we have shown using brain scans that as women go through perimenopause, so even before menopause, those you know, few years of turmoil where you have the hot flashes, the nice sweats, insomnia, anxiety, depression, memory lapses, those years are really marked by the onset, the emergence of Alzheimer's plaques in women's brains. And that was incredibly scary for me. So then I, I started looking into prevention, even more of which I know is why we're here today. Also joining in on the dialogue was Melissa Mitchell, Executive Director of the Global Council on Aging, who referenced a main dialogue theme, the immediate and long-term impact of trauma on the brain. We've talked today about trauma because we're thinking about like how our hormones are working and research does indicate that women with lower levels of estrogen at the time of trauma may be vulnerable to developing PTSD. And so you also explore that relationship between estrogen levels in women's bodies and the development of Alzheimer's. So tell us a little bit more about this intersection, what this means for women, what we should be doing, what we should be thinking about for some of the women that we've been talking about in this conversation today. Yeah, so what we have shown is that there's a very close relationship between estrogen levels, especially estradiol levels, and brain health in women. And we've been looking at it from the Alzheimer's prevention lens, but in reality, it's a connection that really spans from neurology to psychiatry to, to all the brain disciplines, because it's not just Alzheimer's disease risk that is higher in women. Women also have a higher risk of anxiety and depression as compared to men, but we also have a higher risk of multiple sclerosis. We have a higher risk of developing a brain tumor after menopause. We have a higher risk of dying from a stroke. And all these factors seem to be activated by menopause, which is a connection that's been really dramatically overlooked in the neuroscience fields, in neurology, in psychiatry, psychology. We don't talk about this enough unless we're making fun of women's hormones and women's brains, right? So I think it's really important to change this conversation and state very clearly, we're not our hormones. However, our hormones do play an important role. And to your point of PTSD and trauma and stress, overall, sex hormones work in balance with stress hormones. So the body, when you're under stress, your body produces high levels of cortisol, the main stress hormone. And in order to be able to do that, it shifts the production of hormones away from the sex hormones to make the cortisol. So if your cortisol is high, if your stress is high, your sex hormones go down. So if you've reduced your stress levels, your body will be able to also resume production of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and whatnot, which is really important for preventative reasons and also for mental health reasons, really. So reducing stress doesn't just save your day, it also saves your brain. And I think as scientists, for many, many, for a very long time, I think that stress reduction techniques were considered a little bit like new agey or a little bit experimental, if you will. Whereas now it's really well established that things like meditation, for example, 
have incredibly positive effects on brain health at any age, but especially in midlife. Preventative strategies to manage high stress levels are also a survival tactic for millions of Alzheimer's caregivers whose hypervigilant journey with their loved ones can last from three to 20 plus years. For Mara Hank Murray, wife, mother of three, who also heads up the Be Brain Powerful campaign, stress management is a top priority on her generation's to-do list. Here she compares strategy notes with Dr. Lisa Moscone. So tell us how we can take all these lessons about stress. We're women, we, we multitask, we have anxiety. What's the step we could take to make sure that we are monitoring and better regulating the stress hormones in our body? And how do we take the steps to going into meditation and making sure that we are focusing on that and making ourselves brain powerful? Do you meditate? Do, do you guys like to meditate? Well, I do actually I, meditate. You do so. meditate. Oh, I, I had to really push myself to do it because I'm always like running like 3000 miles an hour. But I think that the research really convinced me that it is important to include meditation as a brain protective strategy and really make it as part of your daily life. Or if you can't do daily, at least a part of your life. And I I think in order to manage stress, you effectively also manage your heart health and your brain health because the, the stress reduction techniques that we have available to us are really working is an integrated medicine approach. So there's, there's stress reduction through meditation, if you like meditation, but if you don't, you can exercise and exercise is a wonderful lifestyle tool that is also very personal, right? I like running, but not everybody can run and maybe they don't like running. And so the elliptical machine is a good strategy. And if you don't like the elliptical, maybe you'll do squats. And if you don't like doing squats, maybe you walk. But as long as exercise is done consistently, I think there's enough evidence that supports consistent exercise as an Alzheimer's preventative strategy. Obviously, it reduces stress levels and improves sleep, which is another big factor involved in stress reduction and one that most women I know at least struggle with, or most women on the planet really (laughs) struggle with. And diet is also very, very important for both hormonal health, Alzheimer's prevention, And in some ways, stress reduction as well, because some foods and nutrients really support hormonal health. And insulin is another hormone that is regulated in part by food, and they all play a role in mental health. So I would say meditation, if you can, I would strongly recommend uh, Kirtan Kriya to know if you heard about it. It's a 12-minute meditation that comes from the Kundalini yoga tradition, but it's scientifically validated to really improve blood flow to the brain, reduce cortisol levels, and obviously reduce stress, especially in women. And it takes 12 minutes and uh, is freely available in the Alzheimer's Research Prevention Foundation, actually, has the whole practice on their website. That's wonderful. Thank you. I mean, we're talking about prevention and we're looking at the Be Brain Powerful campaign. And as you know, it's designed to help women to focus on self-care, on a healthy diet and exercise. But what would be your top line recommendations that are applicable to women, but also what is applicable to our entire families? Because at the end of the day, we keep on talking about women and we do this because we're talking about how can we be the ones that bring it to the rest of our families, to our husbands, to our brothers, to our sisters, to our children. So what would be your recommendations? My daughter was not even five when the pandemic started. 
And that really led to a reconsideration of our lifestyle as a family, especially when it comes to sleep and stress reduction. I had her meditate. We started Mm -hmm. doing nighttime meditations for kids and she loved it. And she actually didn't have such a hard time during the pandemic. So I think we did something (laughs) right. I, I hope we did something right. But I think exercise is really important in spending time in nature turns out to be really helpful for brain health for the entire family. And I I always tell my daughter that we need to swap screen time for green time and really spend time outdoors as much as possible. I'm not an outdoor person, I'll be honest. My husband makes fun of me for that. But we we do try to like grow plants in the house and just go out for walks and really limit the amount of time that we spend in front of a TV or a screen, which is very hard to do these days. And just be physically active, whether whether it's going out for a walk or for a run or get on the bike, if you can, as a family, that is really beneficial. I think really eliminating processed foods from the diet is a strong line of defense. Eliminating perhaps is too much, but minimizing the amount of processed food in the diet is really, really important and focusing on foods that provide nutrients that are really supportive of your whole body and brain health. So antioxidants are key, fresh fruit, vegetables, healthy fats from nuts and seeds. What we had done was to really switch to a much more plant-based diet. I've been a vegetarian pretty much my whole adult life with some fish here and there. But we made the conscious decision to go very much plant-based because fiber is really helpful for your whole health for regulating blood sugar levels and hormonal levels all at once. And it's great for digestion and it supports also clarity. And it's a great tool against brain fog because of the anxiety, the stress. Lots and lots of people have been also coming to us, to the clinic, to the research because of brain fog. And also drinking water. We completely underestimate the importance of drinking water, but the brain is 80% water. And even minimal dehydration, like a 2 to 4% water loss, can really trigger neurological symptoms from mm-hmm. confusion to the brain fog that everybody dreads and dizziness, confusion, and the memory lapses, the lack of attention. So I strongly recommend drinking water, which seems very simple, but it was shown in clinical trials or in experimental studies to improve reaction times by up to 20%, just simply drinking a glass of water before taking a test. So I drink water all day long. Yeah, I think that would be my, my top recommendations for the family, just simplify. Take it easy, simplify, try to focus on the presence and be grateful for what you have and try to stay grounded and just structure if you have children especially structure just make sure that they don't feel unsafe and we we were talking about trauma for children before just try to remain calm (laughs) i think exercise meditation making time for self-care and this is something that so many women just don't have time for i think midlife is a time in a woman's life where you really need to make time for you because honestly at the end of the day your healthy midlife is the strongest predictor of your health for the rest of your life. And we all want our cognitive lifespan and our mental health lifespan to match our actual lifespan. These things that these lifestyle steps may sound like easy and simple, but they're very hard to do consistently and consistency is key. 
Thank you so much for that. It's exactly, I think, what we all need to hear. And sometimes people forget that it is the simple steps, but that they're so important to being, like we say, brain powerful and to maintaining sort of this force between us. I always say that the only way to be, you know, the best person for everyone in my family is if I'm well, starting off in my health and my exercise. So thank you so much, Dr. Mosconi. It's been such a pleasure. And Melissa, thank you for moderating. Thank you both for this wonderful conversation. I think it just reminds us to listen to our bodies. If we're feeling that we're stressed, we probably are stressed and we need to take action and do something about it. We have been listening into a fascinating discussion from the Global U.S. Brain Trust Quarterly Dialogues on the differences in sex and gender when it comes to brain health with Dr. Lisa Moscone. It couldn't be more timely. In closing, a reminder that Us Against Alzheimer's offers Brain Guide, a platform to help you or a loved one self-test your memory and offers customized support resources. For more information, go to mybrainguide.org. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Brainstorm. Support for Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's comes from Karen and Chris Siegel. Subscribe to Brainstorm through your favorite podcast platform and join us for new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of every month.